Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land-use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure to be talking with Stan Haynes. Stan owns and operates Brannock Motorsports, which is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Brannock Motorsports specializes in race parts. They are a machine shop, fabrication shop, and they're Ultra 4 racers. Stan, it's great to be talking to you today. And uh, I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for the sport. Rich, I sure do appreciate it. Thank you very much. I want to say Merry Christmas to you and everybody's going to listen to us. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So first question I have for you, it's the easiest one for most people to answer. Where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in a little town in Western Kentucky called Wycliffe, Kentucky. Uh, I was raised the first uh, seven, eight years of my life there. My dad uh, left farming and headed north to Indiana and uh, landed in Fort Wayne. And uh, that's pretty much where I've been ever since as far as uh, being raised there. And uh, now that's where we're at and throwing down some pretty deep roots here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. And he left farming and he went to Fort Wayne. And what did your dad do in Fort Wayne? Uh, He ended up working at, at that time, International Harvester. Started in a factory and uh, worked his way through school there and uh, ended up uh, an engineer at Harvester and retired from there. Oh, excellent. Okay. And what were those early years like for you? Um, I don't know if you you remember a whole lot of Kentucky. That's about the time I think I can start remembering things was about six or seven. Was it a tough move for you personally? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I remember. I remember a lot of that. Of course, my mom and dad, being from Kentucky, we were back, uh, you know, several times a year visiting relatives. All of my mom and dad's side of the family are from there. So, and uh, we still go back and and see relatives there, and uh, really have a, a real good bond with uh, Western Kentucky and uh, call that second home. But um, yeah, oh yeah, I remember quite a bit about it. Had a little bit of a transition coming up here as far as meeting new friends, and but that didn't take long, and uh, we we're we're good old Hoosiers now with a little bit of wildcat blood. There you go, <laughs> excellent. So those early years in school, would you consider yourself a good student, or were you one of those guys that looked out the window just wanting to get outside? Um, I would say the latter there for sure. Right. Uh, we, I, school wise, um, I was always focused on shop classes and, uh, took my first shop class in seventh grade is a foundry class. And ironically, that's where I kind of ended up in all, all, most of my, uh, professional life and foundries and pattern making. And, uh, it was kind of a weird coincidence and that being where we went. But um, 
Uh, School-wise, I eh, average student. Probably now wish I paid a lot more attention in some of the things that uh, would benefit what I do now, but uh, I don't have any regrets at all that way. Right. Okay. Did you uh, did you have time to play sports or anything like that? Oh yeah, I played a lot of baseball, uh, football, and uh, played all the way into high school. And then uh, right out of high school, I got kind of pretty much uh, three months out of high school, I was drafted into the army. So I didn't have a didn't have a good chance to go any farther with any sports there. But um, yeah, played. Played more baseball than anything. Okay. And uh, you said that you got drafted, so that was pre-72, 71? Uh, Yeah, I got drafted in 71, three months out of high school. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, kind of a shocking time there. I thought I was getting drafted to go die in Vietnam, and that didn't happen, but... uh, Thank God, and probably one of the most maturing things that I went through uh, right out of high school, and pretty much uh, establishing work ethic, you know, and it, it it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of a lot of stuff. Some good, some bad. Right. Well, I think that's any any worthwhile experiences teach you both. So that's right. So when you uh, when you were still in high school, did you work back then, or was it mostly school and and? Oh no, I, I worked since I was about twelve years old and uh, paper routes, selling tomatoes out of our garden, and uh, pretty much paper routes. Went into park department, working for the park department. I loved outside, so all summer long was working outside in the park department and uh towards the end of high school i was in working in a parts department and a dodge dealer and uh about that time i'm starting to get hooked on engines cars anything with wheels and uh that's pretty much right about when i started uh really paying attention to motorsports and anything with a motor and and you mentioned shop classes um Besides the foundry class that you took, what other what other shop classes did you take? Any they uh, any they offered. I <laughs> auto shop, metal shop, welding shop, machine shop, um, drafting. Uh, I I majored in uh, in in shop class. Right. That's nothing wrong with that. I wish they. I wish that curriculum would come back into the high schools. Isn't that, tr- isn't that the truth? It's hard to find uh, high schools teaching any kind of skilled labor. So uh, true. Class. So true. And and they don't, and it seems like they don't want to, you know, they, they, they want to force the kids into technology, which technology is all fine and dandy, but, you know, we still have to, the infrastructure of America still has to run. That's, uh, it's one of the worrying things about today in, in school and education and the uh, especially in higher education, uh, what's getting taught there is mostly an indoctrination in my opinion. And, um, the skilled, skilled labor is suffering more and more every year in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you, you, uh, you get out of high school, spend three months working, I suppose, and then you get drafted and, uh, that was near the end of the draft because what they ended the draft in seventy three, and yeah, I was one of the last, right? Yeah, yeah, because I was watching it. I was I graduated high school in seventy six, so I kept mm-hmm. you know I had older friends and people I was in scouts with and stuff like that 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 were getting drafted, and so I was really paying attention to what was going on. Um, but you you didn't have to go to Vietnam. You where were you stationed? No, I, I had orders to go to Vietnam and until uh, I volunteered. The only thing I volunteered for in the Army was to go airborne, and I uh, went to the 82nd Airborne and to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and uh, I still consider it Fort Bragg. 
but um was uh my MOS was 95 Bravo MP. I was a MP in the 82nd Airborne okay. and uh, spent all of my time really in the at Fort Bragg. Okay. All right. That's uh that's a lot safer. Um, although being an MP doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a safe job either. Well, it, it, uh, it worked out all, all, all good. And you spent four years and then did you, did you re-up or did you just spend the four years? Oh, no, no, it wasn't suited for me. I, I, uh, got out and then when I did get out, I was able to use GI Bill and, uh, started my apprenticeship and being a pattern maker, uh, and really, how where I've kind of been ever since, and uh, developing my skills in the machine shop and foundries, and uh, eventually starting Brandon Motorsports. Right. So, what was the um, what was the first car that you had? Fifty-seven Chevy. Fifty-seven Chevy, hot yeah. rodded or. Or stalker? Oh, I hot rodded the heck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I had put a put a V eight in it, put a two eighty three at that time in it, and um, uh, you know, just did everything I knew how to do then, and uh, from there, several cars, and uh, from the army, I uh, got my first taste of off road uh, off road in the army, and being an MP, our our duty vehicle was a was a flatty jeep and um so get a m15 1a and uh, that was our duty vehicle and that's when i first really got my good uh case of off-road and four-wheel drive fort bragg covers a lot of a lot of property yeah so you guys had to did you have to patrol all that or did you, were you, you know, was it just more around the, the housing and the barracks, no. all that kind of uh, stuff? We, uh, like I say, the first case of off-road and, and four-wheel drive was taking, taking the Jeeps out into drop zones and just going out and uh, patrolling way out. Fort Bragg's the second biggest base in the United States. So hundreds and hundreds of square miles and, uh, plenty of area to go get lost and <laughs> uh and uh yeah quite a quite a bit of uh area there to go out and play in and then patrol into okay and when you when you got out of the the military um did you did you the vehicle that you used that you had then um did you were you into four wheel drive then, as well after you got out right away, or did you uh, oh, yeah. did you did you spend a few years back in two wheel drive? Oh, well, I went right into a '62 Willys wagon and uh, started playing with that, putting bigger tires on it. That at that time, um, the most you would do with suspension is maybe a spring over or something like that, and we, uh, but. Yeah, right out of the army. First year out, I I had a '62 Willys that we went out and wheeled, and and uh, did a lot of woods wheeling, and uh, but also had a streetcar, and uh, you know, I still I, I've always loved off roads ever since uh, getting out of high school and going into the army. Right. And when did you? Uh... When did you meet your wife? Uh, five years out of there, out of uh, the army, I met her, and uh, she was from a little town outside of Fort Wayne. And friends introduced us, and uh, that was all she wrote with that. And we've been married uh, forty-eight years. That's awesome. That's awesome to be yeah. forty-eight years. Yep, we were. Uh, Sometimes I can't believe it. Neither can she, but (laughs) (laughs) we're, uh, we're doing well. That's excellent. That's excellent. So out of the military, you get your, uh, 
you're, you're going in, you know, you got your GI loan, you um, go to school to be a pattern maker or uh, an apprentice, isn't it? Yeah, I had a five-year apprenticeship. I finished my apprenticeship about the time I finished, uh, found my wife. And and then um, from there, it's been hopped around to a few shops, uh, running a shop and running a foundry. And, and then uh, about 20 years ago, I had enough of that. And we said, uh, I'm going to do this on my own. And that's when we started Brannett. And, and those early years of, of, you know, that stuff that got you that training to where you could open up Brannick, what was, what was your favorite part of all that? Was there something in there that you just knew that this is what you wanted to continue to do? Well, yeah. And, and we still continue to this day with Brannick and doing the foundry work and creating uh, master tooling molds and dyes and uh, uh, creating you know, a master pattern that makes thousands of parts in, in a foundry and castings. And we still do quite a bit of that. We, uh, we do work for other off-road places that, uh, we've been affiliated with and developing their tooling for their products. And, and, uh, but really when it comes down to what we do now and it all, uh, it all really stem from, uh, going out and breaking stuff in the, in the off-road world and trying to build it better and make it better. And you, and you certainly done that. You've certainly done we that. We try. So what yeah, are, when you first started on your own with, with Brannick Motorsports, well, we should talk about how the name came about when you're, when you're Stan Haynes, how did Brannick Motorsports come about the name? Well, um, Probably about 21 or 22 years ago, with Brannick being 20 this year, and, and we started in 2003, a couple of years before that, I was uh, running a foundry and, and a, a pattern shop over in Ohio, and I was working through the week, uh, long distance, and then coming home on weekends, and my kids were a lot younger there then, obviously, and I just came up with the idea that we're going to start a little club just with my two kids and try to figure out a name for our, our small little club with my daughter and, and Brandon. Uh, my daughter's name is Nicole and of course my son's name is Brandon and uh, came up with the acronym of Brannick with, for Brandon and Nick and Nicole. Right. And uh, Brannick Motorsports was initially just a little private club with me and my two kids nice and uh we would go play on the weekends and when i was home and and uh after that little stint i uh, came back to fort wayne and said i had had enough so i would have got to name a business something so we ran it ran it stuck for us and what was what was it like when you took when you went from working from somebody else and collecting a paycheck <laughs> to being the one that had to rely on making the money to pay the paychecks, to keep the lights on and do all that. What was that? What was that initial time? Like in it, it, it one word panic, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I many times just starting out and we, you know, each time my wife was still working Luckily, she had real good insurance, so didn't have to worry a whole lot there and um, had saved up enough to be able to start something. I started with a manual mill, a Bridgeport mill and a, and a small lathe and a welder and uh, with no clients. And initially, I was starting out. I was When I started out, I was just going to be keep doing what I had been doing in the foundry business, patterns, making patterns and molds and dyes. And that, uh, we kept growing a little bit by little bit, uh, started in 2003. And when it got to about 2007, 2008, when everything the, hit the fan. The economy took a dump, yes. It, it took, it, it, uh, a lot of sleepless nights back then, and uh, I had a pretty decent 401k for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, 
that all got absorbed into not giving up. And uh, we struggled through a couple more years. Brandon started for me about a year and a half after I started. And uh, keeping him paid, keeping a couple other guys paid. And uh, it, it was a... Uh, there was a time there when uh, I wondered what the heck did I do uh, by doing this and leaving a pretty pretty lucrative job and uh, ending up with no retirement and <laughs> decided we weren't going to give up and uh, didn't. And after the big downturn in the in the economy, we just kept eking back and and uh, to this day is. Um, I wouldn't have done it any other way, really. It taught us a whole lot about perseverance and not giving up and being frugal and not being stupid and spending our money. And um, it, it really taught us a lot going through hard times. And that's one thing people should try to remind you know, to remember. And in, in starting a business is you're going to go through hard times, but be prepared for that. And uh Try to always have the attitude to don't give up. You can always find a way to get it done. Right. Yeah, I went through a couple of different hardships like that with businesses. Um, at one time, I was a, a commercial photographer and uh, got married and then realized that uh, instead of, you know, it was great when you were when I was single. If I made, mm -hmm. you know, back in the early 80s, if I made $8,000 one, one month, and nothing yeah. for the next month or two, it didn't matter. But then right. all of a sudden I get married, I've got a kid. It's like, mm. no, I got to have a steady income. You right. Know, I got to know that I can pay that bill next month. So I got out of the photography, then ended up becoming a, a landscaper and had a landscape business. And then we went into Desert Storm. And, right. you know, all of a sudden nobody wanted to spend money and, you know, a landscaping, even if you just bought a brand new house, the last thing you need is landscaping. You know, it doesn't matter if you have weeds or lawn. If you don't want to spend your money, the last thing you're going to do is put a landscape in, right? So that failed. So then I moved on to, to other things and working for other people and then finally got tired of everything and just said, I'm going to go start doing this rock crawling thing. And then mm -hmm. same thing, 2008, 2009, um, after the 2008 and nine seasons, I was, I was pretty beat up and I, my, my idea was not to continue after 2009. And, uh, luckily I had met Shelly and she convinced me to keep doing it cause she was retiring, getting ready to retire. And mm -hmm. so she said, let's, uh, let me help you with this. And I'm like, you don't want to get into this nightmare that I've built <laughs> struggling on to. I don't know if, if I want to continue, but she convinced me and, you know, here it is today still going. And, you know, it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's the industry. There've been some tough times in this industry, but the, uh, I think, I think for overall Jeep designing the JK really right. saved the four wheel drive industry in the long run. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've thought a lot about that myself and really, I, I believe the whole industry made a giant leap with the TJ. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and getting rid of the leaf springs and, uh, uh, that, that changed everything. If you look at every, you know, from that point on, it was like, boom and buggy start being developed and, Back in '95, and um, but got rid of the leaf springs, and yeah, it was coil springs. But at least you were, we were uh, looking at a more flexed out suspensions, and uh, not that I'm a big Jeep fan by any means, but they did change uh, change the world in off road. Oh, I agree. I agree. the The TJ was was the first, um, I'd say, revolution. That, yep. that really stuck. And then when they created the four-door with the JK, oh, yeah. it took people away from, no longer was it just an off-road vehicle. Right. Something to use hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. It became a daily driver. And the mm -hmm. market opened up and people all of a sudden, you know, the people that, that would never own a Jeep were buying Jeeps. 
Yep. And it became more of a, instead of it being a niche, it became a lifestyle. You know, everybody wanted that, that look, you know, and, and I think the timing hit well because we were trying to recover from that economic turndown. Yeah, um, it's exactly right. Yeah. So then uh, you get through the the turndown and you're, uh, what, what, what kind of, well, up to that point, what kind of products were you, were you doing? I, the racing, there was no rock racing going on before then. There was, uh, there was a little bit with, with very, you know, there was the rock crawling and then there was a lot of rock crawling. And then there was like just us with we rock and then mm-hmm. weavers, you know, we're putting mm-hmm. on XRA, but besides desert racing, there was really nothing else going on in the rock sports, um, up to that point. So what were you, what were you specializing in or what were you? What were your products? Well, be, before the yeah, before the the, the turn down in 08, 09, uh, we were still struggling along in trying to be a pattern shop and and cater to foundries, and all the off road part of it was just uh, part time and hobbies. And uh, we, you know, what we did do with that, we were just trying to do our own parts finding parts that were breaking, um, you know, and working that way. Then we've always, always followed all the way back to U-Rock and R-Rock and We-Rock, E-Cores, um, always followed rock crawling, and we still do. We, I, I still love that um, that technical part of, of wheeling and being able to uh, navigate obstacles and uh, and – do it for points. I, I just enjoy that a lot. Uh, the rock racing part of it, when uh, really when we would go wheel and do, we we frequented Badlands quite a bit, and we would always private race. We would run Orange Trail for time and and uh, you know wheel as fast as we can and just goofing off. But uh, really got serious about the racing part of it with XRA and the Weavers and. Uh, really, really enjoyed that type of racing and got into dirt riot with you guys and, uh, really enjoyed that too. We, we're kind of a, a mixed bag really. And I still really enjoy rock crawling, but, uh, obviously we like going fast too. And, uh, catered, we cater to both pretty much with our business. And that's kind of helped us out a lot along with, uh, what we make and, doing a lot of axle work and suspension work. Uh, we catered to a lot of truck pullers, diesel truck pullers a lot. And so um, it kind of evolved, uh, evolved and then stayed the same, so to speak, with uh, rock crawling and racing from really took off with a uh, XRA and dirt riot. Right. And uh, what was the turning point? for you to uh to jump into like the ultra four racing koh well just going (laughs) (laughs) uh my my just being there i mean uh, i started going to king of the hammers in 09 and uh two years later we're racing and uh raced ever since until uh my last race was 22 at hammers uh, with my grandson uh, as my co-driver and, uh, he's chomping at the bit to do it again. And we're working on making that happen. But, uh, a year and a about a year and a half, well, two years now I had back surgery and it kind of knocked me out of the racing and, but still a hundred percent involved in it, have countless friends that, uh, are racing still. And, uh, we support, quite a few people and and uh sponsor the sport sponsor rock crawling and uh it kind of put us on the map and being in the racing and uh, and then proving that our parts are working because we we run our parts 
Right. And then you've also in the on the rock crawling side, you uh you got a couple of guys that really really good spokesmen because they were, you know, they were heavy oh, hitters, you know, with Jesse and uh Oh yeah. For sure Jesse and then also with um We've had quite a few. <laughs> right. And still still they're close, close friends uh to this day. Jesse, he's we still work very close together with his his portal uh product and his, and then I try to uh, make it to a lot of the events. We've been affiliated with a super crawl, uh, trail hero, all of his re-rock experience and everything, as well as Ultra 4. He, he's real good at that, too. But uh, we partnered up quite a bit on uh, with his uh, Hummer Portal product. We're putting axles in his portals now. And, um, and then... We go back away with Rusty Bray and Matt Dees and Danny Rohr and Kenny Bloom and Justin Kyleman and even Shannon Campbell back in the in the crawling days. So um, Brad Styles, um, I can't Doug Bigelow. A lot of those guys have moved on into Ultra Four, and some have dropped out of wheeling. And but. Um, We've been Derek West, been been around with uh, rock crawling for a long, long time, and a lot of those guys moved right into go fast. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So you've got uh, you've got a good steady business. Um, you've you've come up with a lot of cool products, um, not just making things stronger, but actually developing things that uh, that work better. Um, every time I turn around, it seems like you got a bigger and better axle or joint assembly and, uh, talk about how that stuff develops. Um, really out of necessity, um, we have, and and we have really, really good competitors that I respect a lot. I I really respect our competitors. They help make us better. Um, I love the free market. I love, uh, I love capitalism. <laughs> right. And it, it, it really uh, enhances a business to be better, to not just rest on your laurels and, and think that, uh, that you've arrived or anything. Our competitors help make us better. And um, also when the market needs something, we kind of pay attention to that in our sport. And uh, sometimes our competition needs our competition to, uh, I believe help them. People might get a little bit butthurt uh, by us, by what, you know, us being something similar or doing something. But uh, also when the market is lacking a little bit, uh, like for instance, universal joints, uh, we've really worked hard on uh, U joints and, um, and developing the, the new 1550 stuff. Uh, enhancing the 1480U joints. We're looking at 1350 stuff where the new JK, the new JKs really don't have a lot of people working a lot with uh, making aftermarket parts for the for the stuff for the JKs and the 1350 uh, style axles. And we're working on that now for U joints and axle shafts. And, uh, but always looking to, to improve what make need improvement and uh also looking to what maybe people aren't really uh developing for the market okay just trying to keep up keep up with the with the innovation yeah innovation um we've one thing we've done a lot with is 775 aluminum and uh trailing arms leading arms uh, suspension links and uh really you know trying to think outside the box is what how uh products are developed and making them stronger and we do that a lot by just going through our own test bed and and racing and with uh the people that are helping us test our parts one of the things i wanted to touch on is is you guys have created a a pretty good little family lifestyle racing group there in indiana 
Team Indiana. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, there's 219 members in uh, Team Indiana right now. I, well, I didn't know, know you guys of... kept track of it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's our own little private group on Facebook, but uh, it's kind of phenomenal about how uh, tight, pretty tight group, and it's a lot of people that aren't from Indiana either, but they right. seem to. Uh, rally around us and we around them and and uh, pretty pretty well known for as far as a pretty good group of people to have a beer with or eat a chicken wing with or need need pit help. Right. I I always enjoyed when when I still attended KOHs. Always made sure I came over to Team Indiana camp, um, oh, yeah. which seemed to be a whole block in all directions. And uh, to hang out with you guys because it was always fun. Yeah, uh, John Trahune, John Dawes, Jody Ford, Nate Gessie, uh They're always there and willing to help anybody that needs help. And uh, really, that goes for all of Hammertown or wherever we might be. Um, pretty well known as far as being a pretty good, friendly group of guys Abs- and gals. Absolutely. So uh, what are you guys working on for the future um, without giving away trade secrets? Is there any mm-hmm. any kind of hotbed uh, stuff? Is is it the KOH parts or, like you said, the, uh, the JK, JL, JT stuff? Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on the aftermarket part of those U-joints and 1350 stuff, uh, axles. Um, like 35 oh, spline chrome olive. 44 stuff for the uh for jt's yeah yep um right in the middle of developing that that kind of stuff um and really uh, to be quite honest we're working on processes that we're really having a hard time with keeping enough skilled people working with us and uh i think we're suffering like everybody else does with keeping good people it seems that uh people just don't want to work anymore the younger guys and so we've pretty much figured out to keep going and growing we need to look more and more at automation we're (laughs) i hate saying that but we're we're trying we're looking at robots to be able to load machines and machine parts uh, and uh automation to run lights out we're making new joints right now with the lights out. So um, more and more just being more efficient. I think that's probably the biggest thing we're working on right now. And uh, we're working with all USA materials, making sure that materials are as good as we can get them. And uh, suppliers, I'd say most of our focus right now is being more efficient on what we're making. But as far as new product coming, I think the JK and the JT stuff, uh, as far as actual shafts, it seems to be getting to be more and more our forte and, uh, and making that stuff bigger and bigger and better. And, um, so focusing on getting better at doing what we do. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, with that innovation and automation, um, also, and that kind of a change also comes with a, kind of a changing of the guard, you might say, at, at Brannock? Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> funny you say that. 24, uh, 2024 is kind of going to be a, a turning point for us as far as changing guard. Um, I'm right in the middle of turning over quite a few of our duty, my duties to Brandon. And, uh, he's going to take the helm, uh, here in 2024 and working on becoming part owner and eventually full owner. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking at doing a little bit more playing more of the promo stuff for the business, uh, going out and seeing more. I want to make, I want to make more, uh, we rock events this year and more of the, uh, hopefully ultra four has got things going this year that I can 
visit and uh, be a representative for Brannock at, uh, at some of these events. Uh, so looking forward to that and uh, just taking a different role and being not going to leave the business. I don't think I'll ever full out retire, but um, be able to breathe a little bit, kind of like you're trying to do with We Rock and right. um, live life and enjoy it. And uh, then at the same time, be able to handle hand over a good, healthy business to Brandon. Right, exactly. And that's that's exactly what you said that that we're trying to do um, with Jake Good taking over We Rock, which you know, right. like like we talked about before I started recording, is that you know, I think that the the sport of rock crawling is in good hands with with Jake, and we would love to see you out at the events. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've, I've kind of voiced that to Jake already. Uh, I've mentioned it to Jesse, you know, a few times. I know I've, I have made a few events with Jesse. Back in the day, I would I would go to the events with him before uh, we were really ever involved or, or sponsored any events, but would go with him and help. And that's really where with Jesse, Troy Myers, uh, Shoopy back in the day, uh, that's really where I got hooked on competitive rock sports. And like I say, that evolved into the go fast stuff, but um, uh, I'll never leave rock crawling. It's uh, it's so much fun. Are, are you looking to get more time on the trails? I know that was it the last oh, two yeah. years you've been able to make it out to boo bash on yeah, the Rubicon. I, I don't want to miss that ever again. I, I, I'm kind of wondering if uh, we're going to get past 24 and there ever being another boo bash, but uh, I want to hit Fort Ice. I want to hit uh, Rubicon for the short little distance it is, of 20-something miles, I guess it is. Uh, what a what a beautiful place of God's green earth. It's uh, Everybody needs to experience Rubicon, am I right? Absolutely. I'm I'm only I can tow my Jeep from my front door to Loon Lake in one hour. Oh my. So that's well, how close that I am. Place. So yes, sir. when you want to come out here, I'm I'm gonna try to get to Boobash this year. Right now it's scheduled on, on one of our events, I think, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see if that's one I have to be at. You know, so yeah, uh, I'm hoping to do Boobash because it looks like the last one because looks like Mike's gonna be moving. So, um, Florida. yes, and there's not a lot of rocks in Florida. <laughs> no. We're gonna have to, no. te- we're gonna have to get him to go to, to Alabama or to Georgia or something and put on another, another ride. Yeah. I, I did want to do what we, what, as far as, uh, the rock sports is we've got more and more involved here in the last couple of years with track again at the Badlands. Right. And I uh, really want to put a shout out as far as Trek. It's it's about as grassroots as you can get it's, uh, with with go fast woods racing. And Badlands is just one heck of a place that has a you've been there many times. And I got to say, for being here in the land of corn in Indiana, uh, Badlands has terrain that pretty much covers everything we do in, uh, in rock sports. Uh, Dunes, woods, rocks, uh, water, but <laughs> mud, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of water and mud. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but what a good, a good group of guys there with Kyle and Larry and and uh, just uh, it's good grassroots racing. Um, and I just want to put a shout out about Trek too. XRA was fun. So is Trek. And it's a uh, it's it's distance endurance type racing, yep. and um, they're they're good people. Yeah, Kyle's good people. I I first worked with him um, back at the first uh, event that he did back in Paragon. In Paragon, yeah, yeah. Me and Bob Rogie went out there and uh, helped them put on that first event. Yeah, he he's a real good guy, and that place is growing like crazy. He's uh, number one. Uh, side-by-side dealer in Indiana right now, out of, out of Badlands. Wow. that's He's Both doing good. Flourish and Can-Am. Excellent. So uh, 
I'm going to throw it out there. If uh, if you want to come out and go to the Rubicon or Four Dice or anything like that, let's talk ahead of time. Um, like I said, I'm going to try to do Boobash, but after after that, after Mike leaves, um, you know, you're still welcome to to come visit. We're we're going to be here in Placerville for uh, looks like the duration. So we're yeah. uh, we're real excited about you know getting some of our friends. I've not. I rarely ever have wheeled the Rubicon since I've been a promoter during the summer because I've always been so busy yeah. and, you know, always traveling, always on the road. And I've always done my wheeling, you know, late, late fall, early spring, you know, before, before the seasons get going or the winter. And so mm. I'm looking forward to those days where I can just did it a couple of times this year, just jump up on the trail for a, a few hours, you know, not even yeah. run the whole trail, just go up for a day and have a picnic and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, I'm looking forward to more of that, but anybody that's listening to this, if you're, you know, if you want somebody to, to go on the trail with you, let me know ahead of time. And, uh, if I'm in town and not in a, at an event, I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll help. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll guide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of strange the last couple of years I've gone two years now and, uh, I've kicked around having a buggy out there and leaving it out there just to come back and forth to be able to wheel out there. Um, it's just amazing. And, um, uh, there's no way really to describe it unless you're there. And I, I, I would do the same as invite anybody to be able to go out there. If you haven't gone, it needs to be on a bucket list for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, while the Rubicon is beautiful, it's not the most difficult trail in the area. Um, I would throw that at four dice. Yeah. You know, four dice is a, a much more difficult trail. It's uh, kind of relentless. Um, the Rubicon mm-hmm. is scenic. There's a couple of hard spots, but it's not, uh, it's not like being at the hammers or anything. That's for sure. Right. Rubicon's not difficult until you have to daisy chain out from, uh, all the way out. Like we did this last year, we pulled a, a forerunner out all the way from a uh, uh, dirty dozen campground all the way out to the loon light loon side. Wow. And uh, it was an all day deal. We got, it was all day daisy chaining a dead forerunner out from uh, Lana Scott. Uh, she'll enjoy me telling this, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, she broke and uh, we got her out. And uh, it was quite the experience, something I'll never forget, and being able to recovery all the way out of Rubicon. Right. Yeah, she's not too far from where I'm at. I think she's in in Diamond Springs, yeah. which is just just over the the next ridge. Right. Yep. She's not too far from there. Yeah. Well, is there uh, is there anything that you want to touch on that we haven't touched on? Can you think of? Uh no, I just want to tell everybody that's listening that I've met so many good people uh, through, through my experience with off-road and what you do, Rich. I want to thank you for what you do. And um, I want to thank Dave Cole and Jeff Knoll and everybody, the Weavers, all the way to Kyle Nosp and everybody that's been involved with this crazy sport that uh, I've met so many really good people. And, um, I, uh, which have become customers, friends, lifelong friends. And, uh, the experiences that, uh, I've got is I sometimes just have to, uh, sit back and wonder how it all happened. But, that all happens with the people you're affiliated with and the good friends that I've made through the years. Yeah. We're blessed Dave, in this industry. Absolutely. Dave Cole gave me the, the opportunity to go to China. I would never thought I had ever gone to China before, but <laughs> what was that like? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, what another, one of those deals that I'll never forget. Uh, and when I did get back to Seattle, from that trip, I literally dropped down and kissed the good old earth that I was back. But um, the, just the friendliest people you could ever imagine. 
uh, under a government that you can't imagine either. And uh, I think about Chinese people a lot, especially in the today's climate. And it, there's good people there that uh, really don't know any better. They don't know freedom. And uh, sometimes I wonder if people here understand the freedom we have that uh, that we're able to do and that what we're able to do. Uh, I think there's a whole lot of people in this country that really don't yeah. enjoy the freedom, the freedom that uh, so many people have fought for and died for. I agree. I agree. And uh, unfortunate, and that's unfortunate that, that they don't understand, you know, that's, uh, are there problems in the United States? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. There's problems everywhere, but to think yes, that sir. that this country is 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 a bad place to live is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you know, we just gotta hope that uh, everybody wises up about it and keep every, you know everybody has personal responsibility. That's I, I, one big thing for me is. If everybody would be responsible for themselves and uh, treat others as you'd want to be treated, uh, we would be okay. And uh, so I'm, I'm always hopeful. I'm optimistic. It's all going to be good. And as long as we can uh, keep working together to make that happen, it's, it will. I agree. I agree. So, uh, Stan, I want to say thank you so much for spending this uh, this evening, early evening with me and uh, talking to uh, our listeners. Um, I'll let you know that this uh, this podcast will air next week. Yeah, next week. So um, listen for it. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link and everything, and uh, if you'll share it across your social media so more people can uh, get to know Stan, <clears throat> and hopefully... Uh, Hopefully bring you some more business that you can you can handle. Well, Rich, I really appreciate it myself, and uh, Brandon does too. He uh, really sent his regrets as far as not being able to hear, do it uh, here tonight. But like you said, maybe in a year or so, you'll be uh, talking to him and seeing where we went from this point. That would be tell great. Shelley, I said, tell Shelly, I said uh, hello and Merry Christmas. I want to tell everybody out there to make Make this Christmas a special one. Everybody uh, hug your family and uh, be good to each other. Thank you so much, Rich. All right. Thank you. And amen. I love that. Yes, sir. All right. Take care. And uh, we'll talk later. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on. Or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message and let me know uh, any ideas that you have or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.